Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of the London Circle where we will be talking about Tunisia. It's been two years since Qais Saeed mounted his coup against democracy and freedoms and it's been a hundred days since Sheikh Rashid al-Ghannoushi was taken from his home and put in prison. I'll be talking with Yusra Ghannoushi, the daughter of Sheikh Rashid al-Ghannoushi as well as Ahmed Ghaloul from Al-Nahda Party. Enjoy! When two years ago, when Qais Saeed declared his uh, his coup, I mean, let's call it uh, what it is, his coup, using the 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 sort of, uh, of premise of constitutional amendments or whatever. To be honest, I had I I had very little uh, trust and confidence in that it'll go through, or at least if it did go through, that it would last for as long. But uh, for some reason, it has lasted two years. It looks like it's something that will be with us for maybe um, a while, maybe another year, two years, maybe even longer than that. And um, it seems that those who have been arrested, and particularly Sheikh Rashid, who's now over 100 days in, in prison, it seems that they're going to be spending a little more time to say the very least, in, in, in prison. So, I mean, the question that comes to mind is, how is it possible, how on earth is it possible that for someone like Qais Saeed, who comes from outside the political sphere and who is democratically elected, I was someone who was glad that he was elected. And I'm sure that many, even Tunisians, were glad that he was elected. How could he, with one fell swoop, with one you know, signature of a, of a piece of paper, take over a country, literally take over a country. And, and where does that leave, you know, the Arab Spring? We're talking about the birthplace of the Arab Spring. We're talking about the Jasmine Revolution. We're talking about, you know, 12 years on from one of the most glorious moments of, of the history of this particular region, the, the Middle East and North, or North Africa. So, Unfortunately, you know, he, you know, he used... Um, he used, he exploited the crises that were uh, present in Tunisia uh, at the time, and uh, he was preparing. Crises such as what? There was the uh, pandemic uh, in uh, 2000, uh, 2020 in Tunisia, and Tunisia obviously suffered a lot from that. There were, you know, many deaths. Um, also, there was a political crisis which he. Uh, created and uh, fed by refusing to uh, call, you know, to 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 work and uh, uh, work positively with Parliament, with the government. Uh, he refused to work with the Prime Minister. He appointed himself, as those who were following the situation would know. So he created crises and exacerbated existing crises, including the economic crisis in Tunisia, uh, to uh, lay the ground for his coup. In terms of the pandemic, for instance, we know that uh, there were no vaccines available in Tunisia, and Qais Saeed, uh, in fact, hid the vaccines that Hoarded had them. arrived yeah, in Tunisia, yeah, yeah. and they only came out after the coup. So uh, Qais Saeed, used and exploited all the existing crises in Tunisia. As you said, Tunisia was the birthplace of the Arab Spring and great progress was made since the revolution in terms of establishing democratic institutions, uh, an independent judiciary, free press, uh, guaranteeing rights and freedoms. Uh, on the economic front, however, the achievements were not uh, at the level that people expected. Uh, and that was also exploited uh, by Qais Saeed. Uh, however, I think it's um, important not to talk about, you know, the Tunisian Revolution and the Arab Spring in the past tense, uh, because Tunisians have not uh, accepted that this is the end of the revolution. And the proof of that is the uh, dozens of Tunisians, including my father, who are in prison. They are in prison because they have not accepted that the coup is the end of the Tunisian but revolution. They, I mean, would, you, would you argue that uh, your father and the dozens of those incarcerated, um, that they represent the majority of the Tunisian people? Because it doesn't seem like it. I mean, I mean from the outside, it doesn't seem like it. The only way of measuring minorities and majorities uh, is either reliable uh, 
uh, opinion polls, which we don't have in Tunisia, or elections. And the last elections that Qais Saeed held based on his own uh, constitution yeah, I mean, that shambolic. he wrote himself, only uh, 10% of Tunisians took part in, if, that, if, if that. that. And yes. that's based on, uh, you know, a an electoral commission that he appointed himself. So, um, so it's clear that uh, unlike it had been claimed, uh, Qais Saeed is not popular. So, so, I mean, you would argue, Ahmed, you would argue, for instance, that uh, that particular elections where the, the turnout was was you know closer to zero than it was to any respectable figure you would argue for instance that that in itself was some sort of referendum of the Tunisian people as to how they felt regarding the political structure I mean not only Qaid failed I mean during the instance of the the uh, elections he failed on all the instances of his roadmap the Tunisian people did not participate in the roadmap laid by Qais Saeed. But let me come back to your, uh, I mean, uh, introduction. How did it happen that Qais Saeed came and yeah. took over power? I mean, maybe we should have asked the question in a different way. How were we able in Tunisia to resist for 10 years of democracy while all the other places where, where a revolution has happened they either Were fell yeah, into yeah. a civil war or dictatorship came back. If we take a revolution and we compare the process, historic process of all the revolutions since the 17th century up to now, most of them do fall into civil war or a comeback to, of radicalism within the two to four years. So the exception really which has happened did happen in Tunisia. And that was, in my view, thanks to the approach of Sheikh Rashid Ghanoushi, actually, his consensual approach, and that he was trying to bring about a revolution, a peaceful revolution, on a consensual process, which, which tries to bring everybody on board uh, for, so that everybody will benefit from that revolution. Secondly, we cannot explain the coup of Qaisayed by saying that there was a crisis because Qaisayed did not make his coup as a response to the cause of the people. No, he's made his coup utilizing the institution of the state. He's put a tank to block the government. He's put a tank to block the parliament. So there was not thousands of people, maybe some hundreds, yes, but there was not thousands of people in the street to say that we are refusing this crisis. And if that, if the crisis is an explanation of the regime change, then it is really worse right now. I mean, we, we, Tunisians would not dream of living the hardship in which they are going through right now. So Qais Said is not popular. He's a total failure by numbers. This is not just a propaganda, I mean, branding yeah, yeah. For, for what he's... He failed in all his process, in his roadmap, yeah. as, 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 a, as a person who is governing solely, having all powers at his hand. He's failing everything. And right now, he's bringing the worst of what a human being can do by being a racist and by killing people, just throwing them in the desert and uh, I mean, the, if, if yeah, short yeah. videos, yeah. having a mother with it's his baby, having a, a, a father with his son, yeah. just because they are black. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I take on board absolutely uh, what you've just said in regards with, um, I mean, th that acclaimed roadmap that Qais Saeed came up with. I mean, on every single point, there has not only not been any progress. There's been a, a you know, a regress. a regress in terms of econo economy, in terms of employment, in terms of security. And like you say, now there's an ugly face being shown that regardless of the, all the other crises that you mentioned, Yusra, was never it's there. Unprecedented. It, it's absolutely, absolutely unprecedented. I, I, I mean, I'm absolutely on board with that. But in regards with uh, Sheikh Rashid's approach, and I'm one that knows following Tunis quite closely and also having the privilege of knowing the Sheikh uh, also quite closely for many years. I know his, you know, the approach that he took. I know how he and uh, Nahda 
they gave up and forfeited many of their electoral gains and rightful gains for you know the sake of bringing people together and all political actors together so that basically democracy can thrive and you're absolutely right i do think that it's uh, quite out outstanding to think of tunisia that small country within that sea of oppression and stability and conflict surviving for as much and as long as it did but also um one has to consider the question whether that showed slight political naivety probably on behalf of another maybe even on behalf of the sheikh to assume that that kind of approach wouldn't end in the way this had did i mean i don't the, know whether we can say it has ended it did not end and the actual words of sheikh rashid and i was with him on the night of the 25th we were three of us maybe four with uh, Ali Larayed and Nordil Bahiri who are basically all in right prison now, now all in prison with Sheikh Rashid and um, what Sheikh Rashid says that in the in the in the, in the process of of democratic uh, and revolutionary process we will have a, a a a fall down but then we will recover and regain our on this process so the way Sheikh Rashid sees it and perceive it is that this is a phase in in the process of a democratic transition and this phase of failure will give energy for a better restart and for uh, i mean uh, ref the needed reforms for the previous phase so yes those 10 years uh, of democratic process they did and they do have their failure they do have their weaknesses and this is an opportunity for us to look back and to see forward how we can redeem those weaknesses and how we can uh, have a rebirth of a stronger democracy yeah i think and i think that's happening now if you look at if you compare now we've had two years since the coup if you compare the situation now and straight after the coup you know you're talking about the small group that was there in front of parliament uh, uh or the people who called it a coup at the beginning they were a minority uh, my father on the night of 25th of july as speaker of parliament went uh, to say he rejects this that this is illegal unconstitutional but it was a minority of parties and politicians who took that position now two years later we find there is great progress made in terms of uniting the position of the opposition uh, and not just in the rejection of the coup but on uh, reviewing the 10 years uh, and agreeing on the practical reforms that should be done in terms of reforming the political system uh, looking at the constitution itself uh, and the economy which is the most see, important so priority on this, on this i have a slight problem it's all good and proper you know reviewing the 10 years and talking about what has happened and the mistakes committed or the shortcomings or the such but to be honest that shouldn't happen vis-a-vis -vis or looking at the process itself of democracy and freedom meaning that any kind of ex experiment is uh, is fallible it's uh, it's you know it could fail it, there could be mistakes there could be shortcomings the basis of democracy the basis of freedom the basis of free choice is something that it, that is non-negotiable so even if things go bad you still have the fact that you can change the leader you can change the the, the ruling party but you i mean so i don't think that it's a good argument to say well you know we're we're looking back and we're assessing the past years that should happen in any case what i think should be condemned absolutely is the fact that now rather than having a tunisia where people are free and they can make free choices and they uh, they do not fear prosecution because of their political choices now it's it's a totally different situation i think that that is something that that we mm, must really take i think really i think we, we don't disagree i think that is exactly the same position that uh tunisian uh you know the political class and civil society has come to uh, gradually over two years. Uh, there were those people who thought that you know this was 
uh, a chance to, uh, you know, perhaps exclude their political uh, rivals or who thought that, uh, you know, democracy, uh, you know, is not a priority if, you know, you are looking at, you know, economic problems, etc. But what you are talking about is now the conclusion that uh, we have learned, you know, uh, through this uh, hard lesson. Um, and this is now the position of uh, the majority of Tunisians who have now come to this um, conviction that an imperfect democracy is definitely better than dictatorship and that stability and prosperity cannot be achieved through coups and through dictatorship. So that is important. Yeah. You know, Ahmed, I, I, I visited Tunis uh, several times over the, the course of the past 12 years. And every single time I had meetings with various political actors, uh, society, societal actors as well. Um, Islamic groups. Uh, I, I attended a debate between the, the Islamists, especially the Salafists and uh, the secularists, for instance. And I have to say that these discussions, as robust as the discussions were, the disagreements were, but they were fantastic. They were fantastic events. And you know what? We were even discussing with some friends, why is it that every time we want to hold a conference, we go to Istanbul? <laughs> we should come more often to Tunis, you know, because that was the kind of atmosphere that, that was there. And therefore, you know, what's happened in Tunis is not only something that um, concerns Democrats around the world, or it, it, at least it should, but it actually breaks my heart and I believe the hearts of those who witness what's happened in Tunis. What's happened in Tunis was miraculous. I was, I, I, I by the way, I mean, I, I take extreme pr pleasure in, in saying that I attended the, uh, the, uh, the first anniversary celebrations of uh, the revolution in January of 2012. And I walked uh, down Burgheba, Shara Burgheba, and uh, I saw people gathering from all corners, raising all sorts of banners, uh, discussing, singing, dancing, uh, you know, holding speeches and the such. And I have to say, it was one of the most glorious nights of uh, ever, ever that I can, I can recall. The fact that it's, uh, you know, I can imagine that that is no longer possible um, is something that, that is extremely hurtful, I have to say. I think if we, just two points first. I mean, Democrats around the world, uh, a democracy can not survive just by its own. In the same way, dictatorship, a dictator survives because he has support other, mm. other countries who are supporting him. Yeah. The same thing is, is true for democracy. Uh, so, Qaysaid was able and is still able to to grip his power, his hands of uh, to have his grip over the power because he has, he's even being left doing whatever he wants, or some are supporting him. The international community, and I would say here the West, has allowed Qaysaid to go through his roadmap. So he's been given one year and a half. I took part in many visits, whether with the European Union, United States, Germany, France, Belgium, and we were telling them that what you are doing is wrong. They were asking us, why don't you participate in his roadmap? We, are we were telling him, this is wrong. The value, we should refuse this because in, princip in principle, this is a person who, make, who has made a coup. So the international community has given Qaysaid the chance to become the dictator he is. Secondly, the political elite was so fragmented so that the coup was, it was able to be, uh, to be perpetrated because the coup did not happen if the, if the Democrats were strong and awake. Now they are saying we are all against Qaysaid. But during the first, let's say, six to one year, when uh, a German MEP went to visit Tunisia and he was asking some of our, like, I would not say secular colleagues, what is the priority, Qaysayed or another, they would say, no, they would like to get rid of this party who has Islam as its basis. But today, those ones, are being burned by the fire of 
the dictators of Qaysayed. So if on the day of 25th, Sheikh Rashid was almost alone facing that tank, today the question is, who is with Qaysayed? So it is a process. That's an important question, by the way. That's a very important question. So, I mean, that image, that very beautiful image you were, you, you lived, I mean, uh, have we lost it? I don't think so. I mean, a, a, an event in history, if it happens, it happened within a process. If it starts, in my view, it will not stop until it achieves all its ends. This has happened in Europe. This has happened in Latin America, in Asia, in other countries. And this process, which has started, yes, in Tunisia, went through all the Arab world. And then we had a, a counter wave all over our, our Arab world. We, as Muslims and Arab, this is something which we took, our people have took. They were able to regain their freedom. And I think it is just a process which has started. It will not stop. The question is this, is what is the price of the change? Should our people regain their freedom with a heavy price, with blood and killing, or can we be able to regain this freedom with the lowest price possible? That's a good question. What, is, what Sheikh Rashid is trying to do, really, is to pay the least price for regaining this democracy. When you say, when you say that a dictator can't become a dictator or establish him or herself, I'm sure there are some female <laughs> dictators that we can also recall um, without there being other dictators that give support or to lend support. In the case of Qais Saeed, who are his supporters? Are they powerful elements within Tunisian society? Are they foreign powers? Are they regional powers? Is it the media? Is it ju- you know the judiciary, for instance? Is it what? And where does he get his power from? Why is it that he can act with such impunity? And often I've seen some of his uh, meetings with his own cabinet, and it's disgraceful. I have to say it's quite embarrassing. I mean, I, I mean, on several occasions I cringe because I am thinking. That minister who in front of his own family, you know, I'm a minister, <laughs> but is sitting there being told off and lectured by this, by this person who's clearly unstable is quite embarrassing. Where does Qaisa Saeed get this power from? Who gives it to him? Unfortunately, he is enabled by, uh, by counter-revolutionary forces, those who feel they have lost, you know, their power and interests after the revolution, and they want to, you know, re-establish the old system. Uh, and unfortunately, he is relying greatly on the uh, part of the security forces, uh, also the, uh, the army who uh, traditionally in Tunisia have been apolitical and have played positive uh, roles uh, throughout Tunisia's history, you know, including after the revolution. Uh, however, they have allowed, you know, a tank to uh, block parliament. Uh, they have allowed the president to continue, uh, you know, trampling on the constitution that he swore to respect. So they are, you know, we must admit that they are, uh, you know, complicit in, uh, in, 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 in this coup. Uh, and of course, regional uh, powers who have never uh, accepted that uh, there could be a real democracy in the region and who were afraid that, uh, you know, this will spread, uh, spread throughout the and region. And infect others. Uh, I- indeed, this disease might spread uh, I- in the region. Uh, so, uh, however, we must also admit that those who, you know, um, claim to, uh, you know, promote democracy and uh, human rights uh, uh, and these, you know, uh, universal values have also either uh, turned a blind eye to to these constant violations of democracy and human rights and this systematic dismantling of uh, democracy in Tunisia, uh, or as we see these days, they are providing Qais Saeed with, uh, you know, photo opportunities 
aid and legitimizing his illegitimate uh, rule. You know, we see Qais Saeed, who at the beginning, you know, was uh, described as having huge, you know, uh, popularity. Now it is clear he has lost that. He has also, you know, failed to uh, solve the problems he claimed to be, uh, you know, ridding Tunisians of democracy in order to solve, you know, economic problems. We find that he has uh, robbed them both of their rights and freedoms and of, you know, any semblance of prosperity or dignity in terms of, you know, economic rights. Uh, we find that, uh, you know, Europe is rewarding Qais Saeed for his destruction of Tunisia's democracy. And, uh, uh, and you know, we must it's condemn staggering. that. You know, Yusra, it's staggering because as far as I understand and from following the narrative here in the UK, across Europe and the such, the biggest problem that Europe has is illegal migration, right? So you'd think, you'd think that the concern would be that the countries south of the Mediterranean are stable enough to wade off waves of, of migrants. True. And during the time when there was democracy in Tunis, it was it became almost unheard of that any kind of boats were leaving from Tunisian shores towards Europe. Yet as soon as the, the coup happens, as soon as the coup happens, immediately we have you know, countless uh, ships carrying countless uh, people from Tunis as well as from neighboring countries in south of Tunis, um, uh, hoping to reach the, the the borders of Europe. So, you know, this this begs the question: What is the game that the Europeans are playing? I mean, is it not in their best interest to deal with a stable situation? Regardless, you know, I'm not even going to talk about democracy because I'm, I'm tired of talking about democracy for people who believe it at home but, but don't believe in, in, in pursuing it abroad. Um, I'm going to talk about self-preservation and self-interest. Why is it that Europe does not understand that instability, instability, political instability, uh, dictatorial authoritarian regimes such as the one that Qais Saeed came up with, are reason for increased illegal migration, which is a security issue. Why is that? I think if I could use the term... I mean, uh, forgive me for interrupting, but you said something quite interesting. You talked about those uh, secularists or the, who believe Lai in laicity and the such. Um, and you said something which is quite fascinating, and that is that... And you know, I'm going to take from... I'm trying to remember who it was, but someone who said that there are so-called liberals and so-called secularists whom hate Islamists more than their love for democracy and freedom, you know? And therefore they're willing to accept an authoritarian system and regime rather than to have a Democrat who belongs to the Islamic trend. It's, it's, it's quite troubling. It's extremely troubling. It, it is sad, but it is true. And it becomes really, I mean, um, I don't know whether how to, to say more sad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's tragic. Yes, it's tra tra it becomes tragic when a European, it, it was a German MEP, uh, he's, he's really defending Tunisian democracy. And he was really shocked. He said, during our visit to, to Tunisia, and he said what I mentioned. But the problem is that this weakness is not only in these segment of the Tunisian elite, uh, there are there is also European elite, whether in France and some populist countries right now, like what is happening to, in in Italy, Italy, for instance. Yeah, and those ones, yes, they would say Islam does not have the right to be a source of inspiration, actually, because what Sheikh Rashid has succeeded in doing. Yes. And what the Tunisian uh, experiment has succeeded in showing that yes, Muslims, if you could say Islamist, I don't want really, I don't like really to use this term because of this negative connotation, but I would say Muslims can be real Democrats in contrast with those who would brand themselves as Democrats and who would support uh, dictatorship. So in my view, Europe is making the same mistake they've made during the 90s. And I've met a German uh, 
diplomat, I would say, and he was really angry. He said, we do not want to make the same mistake we've done during the time of Ben Ali, so we are not ready to support Qais Saeed. Some European countries are more than ready to support Qais Saeed. Uh, so there are weaknesses in Europe. There are weaknesses in the Western liberal value, um, values, I would say, and these weaknesses are allowing values of, uh, I mean, populism, of fascism, and of dictatorship to, to sneak in within the liberal West. And in this time where humanity is facing the fall, or let's say the weaknesses, difficulties of this system, with the rise of Putin and maybe... I don't know about the Chinese. So there are problems. In my view, it is an opportunity for us Muslims to say, well, yes, we can have a candle to light up some of these darkness, darknesses. What Sheikh Rashid Ghanusi, he's doing that. When he, I mean, rose the banner of Muslim Democrats, it is a way of saying that we Muslims, whether Arabs or non-Arabs, we can participate in the civilization of the mankind, humankind. And I think that is why my word was when I, before we just started I mean, yeah. speaking, I said, well, we are not victims and we should not be portrayed as victims. Neither is Sheikh Rashid Ghanoushi. We've chosen this fight and we believe in these values. We believe in the values of democracy, not because of the West, we believe of, of the value of justice, equality, the rule of law, because we Muslims believe in those ones. And Sheikh Rashid, as someone who is fighting for those values, we are, we will, he will keep going because he could have, I mean, make a declaration and he would have been out of prison tomorrow, if not tonight. But because he's standing by those values, by our rights, as Muslims, to participate in the human civilization as others. And this is an opportunity. So we are not victims. We are fighting for these values. And I think we are doing that along with other people, not just us Muslims. That's, that's the same thing I wanted to say. I mean, although obviously, you know, I agree that the official European position, position uh, particularly this latest so-called, uh, you know, partnership uh, agreement is, you know, something that, uh, you know, as you said, doesn't make sense, whether, you know, pragmatically or, you know, ethically. Uh, we must also recognize that there are MEPs and, um, uh, you know, European politicians and also in the US as well, senators who have condemned what is happening in Tunisia, who have condemned their own official you know, country's official position, uh, and and we continue to uh, you know to um, you know meet with 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 various um, um, diplomats, politicians, uh, etc., who are who do believe that uh, you know uh, what is happening in Tunisia is uh, is something that uh, you know can have consequences not only for Tunisia but for the rest uh, of the region, and that Tunisia's return to democracy is very uh, important and something that all democrats uh, around the world. Uh, you know, should work together to, to achieve. Actually, Anas, if you could allow me, you remind me of something. I've had a call last year, I mean, with Sheikh Rashid over the phone, and I was, I was a bit depressed. I told him, Sheikh Rashid, I mean, people are not with us. And you see, he told me, listen, Ahmed, these values, there are people in the world who believe in those values, non-Muslims in the West, and those ones, those are our allies. And we should we should believe in those ones, and we should keep keep we should keep working with those ones. So he's always uh, you know ever optimistic, uh, uh, and even you know now in prison you know uh, when how is he by the way? Uh, obviously, I I have not spoken to him. Uh, I'm I'm I have not been back to Tunisia. Uh, my mother has been able to see him just once, although she goes uh, weekly. Uh, to deliver, you know, food and clothes she uh, as she had done, you know, in the in the 80s. And now my mother's, you know, 73 years old and she has to go through the same uh, again. Uh, but the lawyers who are able to see him more regularly say that, uh, you know, he is uh, still optimistic uh, despite everything uh, and using also the time in prison to continue his discussion with other 
prisoners from various uh, backgrounds. Uh, and as we were saying, you know, this coup has been an opportunity for even some who used to you know, espouse this Uh, you know, uh, belief that you could exclude a certain, you know, component of society to believe to, you know, uh, come to the conclusion that that is, uh, you know, harmful for society as a whole and for democracy. Um, and uh, so he continues He's to in be... Good health. He is in good health. Uh, last week was uh, particularly difficult for for him and for all for the rest of uh, uh, the Tunisian political prisoners. And we must uh, remember that there are dozens of political prisoners, uh, both from Nahda, you know, the two vice presidents of Nahda, uh, Said Al Firjani, who was also uh, living here in in the UK for a long time. He is in a particularly difficult situation um, in one of the worst prisons uh, in. and his health is suffering. Uh, but last week, uh, there was a heat wave in Tunisia reaching over 45 degrees. Uh, so that was very difficult um, uh, for uh, my father as well. But generally, he is doing fine, alhamdulillah. You know, um, I'm pleased. I mean, given the the, the, the circumstances, the permutations, but um, uh, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I've known uh, Sheikh Rashid for decades now. Um, I think over 30 years since he first arrived in uh, arrived in London, uh, and uh, I had the privilege of accompanying him, of traveling with him, of interpreting for him, uh, as well as sitting in in meetings where we discuss various issues. So it doesn't surprise me that uh, he still still continues on on this this uh, this path. What what I am troubled by however uh, let me let me fr fr frame it differently we used to attend i would say dozens of meetings every single year held by various international organizations and many of those i would attend and sheikh rashid would be there and the themes would be along the lines of islam and democracy or islam and terrorism or islam and the women's rights or islam and participation you know things like that which I was deeply uncomfortable with, but you, you, know, you have to accept what the organizers have, have laid out as, as a title because basically it puts you on the defensive. Mm, You're going to start off by, you, exactly uh, as though, well, opposition. these two don't fit, but let's see what, you know, how far you can take it. So it, it's not a good start in terms of the title. However, I, I, I note with extreme interest how we don't have those meetings anymore because and i believe in this absolutely because the question has been unequivocally answered muslims and if you wish islamists whom you don't like the the term of have proven beyond any doubt any shadow of a doubt that they are democrats it's not just through rhetoric or theoretically they've gone to practice you know they've actually carried out and if anything They have proven time and again, whether it be in the case of Tunisia or whether you look elsewhere, whether it be Libya or Egypt, or that they they are the Democrats. Enough they are the bastions. Now. They are the defenders of democracy in those situations, and that's why you know it, it becomes so bewildering when uh, talking to um, whom you would assume are democratic institutions and democratic figures working within democratic structures and systems here in Europe and America and Canada and such, you would assume that they would have a, a much deeper appreciation of the kind of cost that has been paid and conti continues to be paid um, because of Qais Sayyid's uh, um, coup, basically. So this is something that, that troubles me to no end. But um, let's just focus on Okay, how do we see the future panning out? What do we think is going to happen? You know, only a few weeks ago, the Cordoba Foundation held uh, a seminar. We had over eight speakers from various organizations and backgrounds, uh, mostly non-Arab, mostly non-Muslim, come and speak in defense of uh, democracy in Tunis, as well as spoke very, very highly of Sheikh Rashid. So you would think, I mean, emerging from that meeting, you'd think, that this is the kind of representation. These are the allies that the sheikhs told you about last year. But how does it look for you? I mean, both you sitting here, what does the next, let's say, year look like? Surely we're not going to do another program on, on Tunis in a year's time, please. <laughs> I mean, at least 
when we come together again, let's talk about how democracy has won, how freedom inshallah. has won, inshallah, <laughs> how the Sheikh is now free and, and, uh, and his comrades and colleagues and the such. But how do you see things happening? Well, I remember during the 90s, I've had like, a, it's a small literature text. I mean, uh, in Arabic, لم يكن الصبح قد آن ولكنه كان قريبا. I mean, uh, it, it was, it's, it is still there. It's like a dream going back to our country and having all these people coming and this, this generation who didn't know about us. It has actually happened with Sheikh Rashid when he went back to Tunisia and thousands and thousands of people were there at the airport and the, the motorway was blocked because of the sheer number of people coming to, to receive him. People who don't know about him, they maybe have heard about him. This, I mean, the way I see it is that hopefully he will be out of prison Shana. and the streets will be full of people Shana. cheering again regaining their, their, their freedom. That's a dream and that's an image. And how it's going to happen, Qais Saeed took power by a coup. There are two options. He either can utilize the option of making another elections, which I seriously doubt that he will accept doing it unless he will have or have to, has to do it. He doesn't have other choices. So the Tunisian people will go and choose to elect another president they will certainly not elect him. Otherwise, he will leave power in the way he grabbed it, not by elections, but by the same people who put him in power. And that will happen when the institution of the state would believe that the, the house is going to fall upon their heads. So they will have to save the house and their heads. It is sad to say that it is going towards the second scenario rather than the first one. How long it would take? I don't think it's possible for Qaisai to sustain power up to 2024. I mean, things are really rushing. This is a building which is falling. So some regional or international power are coming to just to, so that to, to sustain it so it doesn't fall. If they pull their hands away, it will fall today, not tomorrow. Will we be able, will they be able to convince him to go to elections? I think they are trying. They are putting or exerting a lot of pressure over him to release Sheikh Rashid and all his comrades, and we need to thank him for that. It is better for him and for us if he goes to elections. It is sad to say that he's not going to accept that. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously it seems that if he does take that choice, he's going to lose. I mean, there's no chance. Am I right? Or am I, I being mean, a little bit too optimistic? He doesn't seem to really, you know, you know, take these decisions in uh, the way we would, you know, rationally yeah. think and expect. I mean, if you look at the economic situation, for instance, which is, you know, um, getting worse by the day, uh, people talk about, uh, you know, the difficulties during the last 10, 10 years in terms of the the economy, and much has been said about that, but there's no comparison between that and what is happening now. What Tunisians are experiencing now uh, is really unprecedented, you know, queuing up for flour, oil, sugar, coffee, every single basic thing, uh, shortages of medicines, vital medicines. Uh, electricity and water cuts, um, things that people never experienced uh, before, the highest inflation rate uh, since 1984. Um, so every single indicator is really showing a uh, near collapse of the economy. And we see Qaisayid refusing even the IMF bailout. Um, so, so we see that he has absolutely uh, no plan, no vision, and no concern for Tunisians. Uh, and his only solution to all these growing problems is every single day to find a new scapegoat. Uh, it's businessmen, it's judges, it's the opposition, it's politicians. Before it was parliament, obviously now there is no parliament to, to blame. Uh, or, you know, now most, most recently and most dangerously, uh, African migrants, uh, who he, uh, you know, um, described in ways that are reminiscent of, uh, you it's know, incredible. the uh, the you know, uh, European fascist uh, uh, 
great replacement theory uh, and led to you know unprecedented wave of uh, racist uh, attacks etc which you really condemn of the most grotesque absolutely form, I mean, and, and very dangerous as yeah, well absolutely. because uh, he has created this obviously but it can get and it has been getting absolutely. out of control uh, and, and we find sadly that he is being uh, rewarded uh, for this uh, uh, by Europe uh, and as you said I completely do not understand how they can and expect him, you know, having shown his inability to deal with with uh, the economy or with any of these challenges, that he can provide, uh, you know, this so-called curbing of migration that uh, Europe is asking of him. He has created these problems, as as you have said. Uh, you know, migration is fed by despair and disappointment and disenchantment and poverty and all these things uh, that are that have been born out of the coup and out of Qaysayid's uh, disastrous policies. Uh, so, you know, in terms of the economy, it can only get worse and we don't know where that would lead in terms of, you know, social explosions. Uh, the uh, Obviously, the opposition is continuing to try and unite. Uh, as, you know, we said, they have united their position against the coup, but they have not completely united in one front. Uh, uh, they are working in uh, on... Um, not just opposing the coup, but elaborating a vision for after Qaysayid, post-Sayid and post-coup in terms of how we can uh, reform the political system and deal with uh, the economic uh, crisis. Uh, obviously, this um, will lead probably to more arrests and uh, you know human rights violations. I mean, people hear about my father and other prominent names, but Every day, almost, people are uh, arrested or prosecuted for posting something on Facebook, for sharing a video, for simply expressing their uh, opinion. But this is the price that will be paid. And as Ahmed said, um, Tunisians have been through this before uh, and uh, through a similar dictatorship. And they rose against it and toppled it. Uh, and, uh, and now they have experienced freedom and democracy and they are not ready to go back uh, to to the same dictatorship that they arose I mean, against that, that I'm uh, you know that might be right and uh, and I hope it is but um, looking at the map um, where Tunis lies um, it's literally surrounded by conflict zones by lack of democracy lack of freedoms um, and therefore, one asks the question: Okay, so how do you, how do you, you know, sow an organic plant in this kind of desertous uh, terrain where you have no democracy, you have no freedom, you have, you know, violence raging um, east, west, and, and south? The idea is that there is no other solution but having a, a democracy. Mm, it's not an option. It's not an option. Mm. Why? Because He's failing. I mean, he could have been, and he is not, he could have been a successful despot. He could have been a new Ben Ali, for example. Okay, Ben Ali was able, he failed at the end, but he was able to survive for two decades. But at the end, he failed. He failed as a state. He failed as economy. And that's what has brought about the 2010-2011 revolution. It was his failure. Qais Sayed is is a, is a rushed failure uh, during the first year and right now is it possible to have another ben ali dictator bureaucrat the it's not possible because this the qaisaid has fragmented all the institution of the states the international community we are in go it's is going through a, an economic crisis ben ali came in where the west has was successful economically, the economy was rising. So there is no other alternative, but the less costly scenario is regaining a democracy in Tunisia. And this is for the benefit not only of the Tunisians, not only of the Europeans and the West, but even of the, our, our neighbors. For example, Algeria has benefited from the best neighbor during the time of of, 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 of uh, our 10 years of democratic transition. 
uh, they have they had Tunisia as real allies, and right now Algeria is being weakened because of the state of Tunisia. The same thing for Libya, the same thing for Morocco, and for our Af African countries. So a Tunisian democracy, that model, is the least costly scenario, which is able to secure stability and which is able to secure their benefit. The same thing is for the, our northern borders in Europe. So there is no other alternative but having this democracy and re regaining it. Otherwise, Tunisia, yes, it will fall, it will become as a failed state, and instability will reign over the region, not only in North Africa, but the Mediterranean. Yeah, and, and Africa is crucial. I mean, now everyone's gazes are on Africa. China is trying to reach Africa through the new Silk Road, the Belt Road. Um, and, um, you know, with the war in Sudan, with the coup only a few days ago in uh, Niger, for instance. And, Which uh, Tunisia ironically condemned. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, And also European countries have clearly and very quickly condemned it while they had not done the same in Tunisia. Yeah, I mean, I think that we, we overuse the term hypocrisy and double standards. But uh, yes, time and time again, we're reminded of how problematic that is to not only foreign policy, but, but strategic outlook, generally speaking. And, uh, you know, I think I agree. I agree that uh, the region and probably the world, but the region definitely can't afford to have Tunis um, carry on this particular path. And I think you said, you know, you said that, uh, you know, you're wondering why there isn't more of that realization. But I think it's important also to, um, you know, to mention the those who do have that realization and uh, appreciate also the wave of solidarity and support that many um, have expressed from politicians to thinkers, uh, professors, human rights organizations. Uh, human rights organizations. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'd like to mention also that on the occasion of the, um, you know, to mark a hundred days since my father's arrest, tomorrow we will be uh, releasing an open letter signed by prominent uh, politicians, diplomats, academics, judges, etc., from around uh, the Muslim world, calling for the re release of my father and other uh, Tunisian political prisoners. And there have been, you know, previous other solidarity campaigns. So I think there is this realization that what is happening is uh, unjustifiable, uh, and that Tunisia's success is uh, crucial for not not just Tunisia itself, for, but for the region and the Muslim world and and beyond. Shukran jazeel. Jazakum Allah khair. Thank you. Wa taqabbal Allah minkum wa farraj an Tunis. Good conclusions. Uh -huh.